0: This is weird being up here again because the first time I spoke this semester, really the only time I spoke this semester was like the first week of the semester. And so it's been like three weeks and um, it feels good to be back. So glad to be here. Uh, I love that we have an amazing staff and gifted communicators on our staff like Natalie and Brittany, that they're able to carry a sermon series and um, teach really well there. Could you show some appreciation uh, to them? Awesome. As well, we had uh, Pastor Jonathan Gray from New Song uh, come and join in on our last series as well. So, uh, really excited that he was able to be a part there. But uh, it was good to not have to be um, prepping and at the pulpit during winter retreat season. Winter retreat's really busy, uh, but uh, it's good to be back. So, yeah. Tonight, we're starting out a new series, and this one's titled Outcast. And yes, if you're wondering, I tried to sell to the staff team and T&W planning team to have walk-up music be the song Hey Ya, but um, yeah, if you don't get that joke, you should Google it after service. Um, It's the best song of all time, um, but you won't regret it, and uh, they actually kind of shot it down, so yeah. Just a, another side, side comment, we uh, have an amazing group of fellows, AKA jo- Jolene, that does the creative art stuff. And it was really great because we had one of the graphics for the Outcast series actually had Andre 3000 on the graphic, and so um, it was pretty sweet, um, but we decided not to use that one. But yeah, give it up for Jolene for doing the graphics. Cool. Well, as we talk about outcasts um, over the next three weeks, an outcast is a person who's been rejected by society or a social group. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you the punchline for the entire series right here and now before we start out. Jesus doesn't believe in outcasts. However, the church is broken, and we've done a horrible job with speaking up for those whose voice isn't being heard. So, over the next three weeks, we're going to try to give a voice to three of these areas that have been overlooked or cast out of the conversation. The three that we're going to talk about are race, gender, and refugee. First week back, and I get to tackle race. Thank you, Natalie. I'm kidding. That was a joke. All right. All right. Well, we'll start off with this. Martin Luther King Jr. writing from a jail cell in Birmingham, Alabama in 1963, he wrote this. I have just received a letter from a white brother in Texas. He writes, all Christians know that the colored people will receive equal rights eventually, but it is possible that you are in too great a religious hurry. It has taken Christianity almost 2,000 years to accomplish what it has. The teachings of Christ take time to come to earth. Such an attitude stems from a tragic misconception of time, from the strangely irrational notion that there is something in the very flow of time that will inevitably cure all ills. Actually, time itself is neutral. It can be used either destructively or constructively. More and more, I feel that the people of ill will have used time much more effectively than have the people of goodwill. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on wills of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. We must use time creatively and the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. Let's pray and then jump right in. Jesus, I thank you that you preach a gospel of reconciliation. Thank you that you call us to step into places that sometimes make us uncomfortable because you have so much more in store for us. God, I ask that you would speak through me tonight, that as we talk about race, that you would start something in this room that wouldn't even be able to be contained by the walls here. That God, that it wouldn't just be another sermon, but it would be a time where our minds are transformed and our actions are conformed to your gospel. God, we love you and we praise you. Speak through me tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. You see, race is something that we cannot choose to ignore anymore. These are scary times for those of us who are just now realizing that America is not and has never been the melting pot utopia that our parents or teachers taught us it was. These are scary times for those who are just now realizing how justifiably hurt, angry, and terrified so many people of color have been all along. These are stressful times for people of color who have been fighting and yelling and trying to protect themselves from a world that doesn't care to suddenly be asked by those who've ignored them for so long What's been happening your entire life? Can you educate me? Now, you may be here and you're like, oh great, a sermon on race, but this isn't a sermon on politics. This is about the kingdom of God. I tend to agree with what Winston Churchill once said. He said, democracy is the worst form of government except all the others. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I've been born into a democracy. I'm grateful that I have family members and friends who have died serving this country to make sure that I have the freedom to worship the God that I choose, how and when and where I wanna do that. I'm grateful that I live in a country where I don't have to worry about raising my daughter in safety for the most part. I'm grateful for all that's good and true about the United States of America. But I have a very realistic opinion of what democracy is and what it isn't. I think for centuries what we've seen is that the church is trying to establish itself in politics and in policies with the intention of establishing the kingdom of God. But what's really happened is that they forgot about the one thing that matters, and that's the heart and character of the king. You see, the kingdom of God is just that. It's a kingdom. It's not a democracy. It's a monarchy. And Jesus is on the throne. So it's unlike any monarchy we've ever witnessed or will witness. This isn't the crown. It's a perfect government under a perfect king. As Christians, we have to get to a point, and everyone has this moment, where we decide for ourselves, is Jesus just a really good person, a great moralist who's now maybe a little out of date because Western culture seems to think that he is, or is he God-made flesh, king of kings, lord of lords, and what he says goes? It's either or, there's no middle ground in this. So if we say that Jesus is Lord, that he's king, then we have to listen to what he says. We have to do what he says to do. And we have to love who he says to love. So regardless of political leaning or how uncomfortable it makes you feel or how you were raised, we're called to follow the king. So, What does this kingdom of God look like? I'm going to jump to the very end of the book. And this book titled Revelation, it's a vision that the Apostle Paul receives as he's exiled for preaching the gospel. And he writes down this account. And if you read through the book of Revelation, it's a hard book, it's confusing. It's a picture of the end of the world and what the kingdom of God made manifest on earth at the end of the world is supposed to look like. Now there's a lot of figurative language, there's a lot of literary working to this text, but I believe that we can take some out of this and apply it to here and now. So let's pick up in chapter 5. Starting at verse 6, it says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. This lamb is Jesus. Standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. I told you, this is kind of weird stuff. It's confusing, it's all symbolism um, for the most part. Verse 7 He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures, 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Jumping back up to verse 9 quickly, that phrase, with your blood you purchased. How many of you have gone grocery shopping before without a list, gone down the aisle, just randomly grabbed whatever you wanted to grab, got home and then decided, oh, hey, I have all the ingredients needed for a gourmet dinner. Okay, Frank, <laughs> it doesn't happen that often. <laughs> with the blood of Jesus, he purchased people from every tribe, every language, people, and nation. This was a deliberate act. Jesus didn't check out paying with his own blood looked down into the bag as he walked out and said, there's a little bit more color in this than I thought there should be. No, this is intentional. It's purposeful and deliberate. He chose who he would purchase, and he decided to purchase people from every nation, every tribe, every language, every ethnicity. So what does this say about the kingdom? I believe first... God intends to have people from all ethnic groups in His kingdom. People, tribe, language, nation. The Greek word here for nation is "ethnos." Um, you could probably see this um, stems into ethnicity. This encompasses the whole range of ethnic diversity. God intends every ethnicity to be present in his kingdom. Second, he doesn't just intend diversity, but he intends for those people to be in deep, God-centered harmony. Second Corinthians 5 is uh, this letter written by Paul, and um, he says this. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. This is from, from now on comes from since we are in Christ, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. Here, the Apostle Paul is writing about the nature of God's heart and his character and this nature of reconciliation. His heart is to reconcile us to himself, but also reconcile us to one another. The work of Christ is to reconcile and to restore. So we go back to this passage in Revelation 5. It says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This means people from all nations all tongues, all ethnicities, are going to reign together on the earth. Just imagine for a minute the chaos of having a ruling party full of hate and animosity for each other, a lack of respect and honor, total lack of unity around what's being communicated and a total um, blur on what their actual purpose is. If you think about that for a minute, it's actually not that hard to imagine. This would embarrassingly be utter anarchy and chaos without deep unity and love for one another. The kind of divisions and hostilities and prejudice and mistreatment and ridicule and suspicion that has existed in the church among races is unthinkable when we look at the context of this passage. Christ in this text is pursuing deep harmony and love between races, and that is his design for us. Our third point is that ethnic diversity and harmony in the people of God was pursued by God at an infinite cost. This isn't just something that we make secondary in the gospel. God pursued relational harmony, racial harmony, and racial diversity in the kingdom, and the cost of this was the blood and life of the Son of God. So this is not a small issue in the church, because it cost Jesus everything. I think so many times we do this thing in Christianity where we say, hey, we have this issue, but it's secondary to the gospel. No, this is core, fundamentally, part of the gospel. Jesus has come to reconcile all people to himself, no matter what race, no matter what ethnicity. And if we are stubborn enough to say, I don't have to reach out to that person because of their skin color, then we are not exemplifying Jesus. Number four, blood-bought racial diversity and harmony is for the glory of God through Christ. Verses 9 and 10, again, here in Revelation, hitting it home, it says, because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. You purchased for God. You have made them to be a kingdom to serve our God. This is for God and for his glory. But we continue on in verse 13. It says, then I heard, this is John, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity is meant to praise God and give Him glory together. Not meant to be separate, not meant to be, oh, this church here that's this race, or this church here that's this race. No, we're meant to be doing it together in one voice, in unison, and in harmony. This is what the kingdom looks like. This is why race is an important discussion. And so this brings us to American University here in 2018 what do we do with this? What do we do with this information? What do we do with this text and this picture of what the kingdom of God's supposed to look like? Because I don't think we're quite there yet. I think we actually have quite a lot of work to do. First, very simply, racial diversity and harmony are very, very important. And if it costs the Father and costs the Son so much, should we expect that it would cost us nothing? Should we expect that it's going to be easy? Should we expect that the devil's just going to give up without a battle in this area? The answer to all those questions is no. It's a strong, hard no. Satan, this enemy is an adversary to anything that god wants and if god wants racial diversity and harmony then he's going to do everything he can to sow discord in the body to raise up people in the church that say this is how i read this text and it supports whatever no he's going to do everything and pull out all the stops to break apart the body of christ and what it's meant to look like and what it's meant to be Until we're willing to pull out all the stops to make racial diversity and harmony a thing in our community here at AU and in Chi Alpha, we're never going to see victory in this area. To join God in pursuing racial diversity and racial harmony is going to be costly. But if you love God, if you Live to spread a passion for his supremacy in all things. For the joy of all people. You have to trust him. You have to seek his help. You have to pursue with your life what cost Jesus his. Policies and politics can never dictate heart change. You can spend the rest of your life trying to um, promote legislation or promote change in our country or in the upper echelon of politics, and it's never going to dictate heart change in anything. And this is in any area. Jesus is concerned with the heart. And out of the overflow of our heart, then our actions come forth. You have to trust the king. Because we may have a picture of what his kingdom is supposed to look like, but he knows what he died for. He knows what the goal is. He knows what is supposed to happen. We have to trust him in this process. Staff, we've stood up here before, and we've come down hard on this area, and we've said there is no place for racism, bigotry, or hatred in the kingdom of God. And I'll repeat that over and over until I'm blue in the face. But if we don't change our heart posture towards that, if we don't actually start coming to Jesus and trusting him with these things, no matter how many times I say it, it's not going to infect our community and make us look more like the kingdom. Johnny, if you could go ahead and come up. Tonight at the end of the pews, um, There are index cards, and there are pens. I want you to take some time tonight. If you can start passing kind of those down the road. I want you to take a moment. Johnny's just going to play lightly on the keys. We're not having a response song in worship. I think we really need to respond inwardly in this. I want us to take a moment to think Think about this picture of the kingdom and what this means. And um, maybe for some of you, this is the first time you've heard this. Maybe it's not. But take some time to ask what can I do in this area? Not next year. Not when you get some big hotshot job that you can in, uh, affect policies or procedures or maybe have more influence than you do now, what can you do right now? Maybe this is internal. Maybe the heart of the issue is that your heart needs to be changed. Maybe you need Jesus to change your heart towards other races. Maybe you heard me say, we're going to talk on race tonight, and you said, again? Again? Yes, again. Maybe it's just becoming more aware of the issues that are going on in our world. Maybe you've been avoiding the topic. You've heard us talk about racial reconciliation group, and you're like, do we really have to have that? Or maybe you think it's just talked about way too much. Maybe you think it's the secondary topic to the gospel. Maybe you should come to Racial Reconciliation Group and you should sit across from people that look different from you and hear about their pain and hear about their hurt and learn to shut your mouth and just listen. Take some time. We're going to have an extended time of response for a moment. Take this card. Write down what you believe Jesus is calling you to do in this area. Maybe you write down a prayer, God change this in this area for me. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe you don't need to change your heart toward other races, but maybe this is deeply personal for you. Maybe you've been hurt and burned in this area so many times that you don't know if it's really the heart of God. Maybe you're angry and frustrated. And rightly so. Pray about it, but realize that at some point prayer isn't going to be enough. Reconciliation costs Jesus' life, so it has to cost us something. But write this down. What I'm going to ask is that you not bring these cards up to the altar, but you actually take them out of this room with you. Put them somewhere that you see them daily. Daily. Put them in a journal on your mirror. Look at it every day as a reminder of your part to play in racial harmony and diversity in the kingdom and pursue God's heart in this area. Let's pray. I'll give you a few minutes to respond. Jesus, I want to start off just asking for forgiveness in the times that I've been so callous and insensitive to just think of myself in this area. God, uh, the times that I've propagated a system that's just been all about oppression and not about your heart, God, I just ask for forgiveness. God, I ask that you would continue to change my heart you would continue to do work in this area right now would you speak to us and tell us what you want us to be doing in this area and how you want us to just promote racial diversity in the kingdom not for our sake not to make our community look good but God all for your glory God I pray for healing of hurt pray for forgiveness God, I pray for harmony and unity in the body. Heal your church, restore what's been broken. In Jesus' name, amen.